0: All right. Amen. You may be seated and please turn in your Bibles to begin with to Exodus chapter 15, verse 11. Get untangled here a minute. There we go. Okay. While you're turning, we're going to pray. Because approaching the holiness of God, tempting this study, you realize very quickly who is adequate for these things. But with his grace and help and by the Spirit's instruction, illumination, I pray they'll be beneficial to us all. Amen. So Holy Father, you who are divinely, truly, perfectly, majestically holy... Father, we bow our hearts today before you and ask, O God, that you would help us, you would instruct us, you would illuminate our hearts and our minds by your word and with the working and power of your spirit that we may appear and behold your holiness. For you alone are the the definition and the purity of holy. And, O God, we are, are humbled and amazed we are trembling with joy that you would condescend to reveal your holiness to us and reveal our need for that holiness and providing that holiness for us through Christ himself. So it's to you we look, it's to your name we give honor and praise, and it's to your spirit we ask for great help. In Jesus' holy name, amen. 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 Exodus fifteen eleven. One of hundreds of good places to start, but it gives us the declaration, the pronouncement that we need to begin with. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? Just an excerpt from the beautiful song of Moses. But what this is going to provide for us is our, our starting point, obviously. And we're going to look at scriptural definition of holiness. God's holiness is, is described in various sections of scripture as the sparkling jewel of his crown. It is the the most glorious name by which God is known. His glorious is said to be the radiance of his holiness and that he speaks only in holiness. Psalm 111.9 says, Holy and awesome is his name. Just the very name of God speaks of his perfect love of righteousness and his abhorrence of evil. God's power makes him mighty, but it is his holiness that makes him glorious. And when we think of holiness, what comes to mind? Perfection? Purity? Amen. Set apart. You're on the right track. For God says too, and, and to, through David in Psalm 50:21, you thought I was just like you. And the names that we get for holiness from the Hebrew, there's two of them actually Kodesh and Kadosh. I want to spell these right this week. And Juan was right. These mean to be set apart. It is an, an apartness, a sacredness, a, a consecration. And in the Greek, we have the same meaning from "hagiazo" or hagios, which is also separate, blameless, set apart, consecrated, reverenced, holy, sanctified. And also from this hagnos, which is pure, blameless, innocent, perfection, and based on these scriptures and the meanings we have from the Hebrew and the Greek, how should we consider the holiness of God? And we, we've already touched on it. it. It is what I'm getting at. Is it is it seen primarily as a moral or religious quality? Not Not primarily. It is, and we're going to get to that promise you we'll get to get to that but it's it's primarily understood as we said being set apart it is a positional quality it is a relationship between god and a person or or a thing so turn with me very familiar passage we just sang about it isaiah 6 we're going to begin here and and look at this under our our scriptural definitions and considerations of holiness Isaiah 6. Would anyone like to read the first five verses, please? Keith? voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke then I said woe is me for I am ruined because I am a man of unclean lips and I live among the people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the king the Lord of hosts then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand which he had taken from the altar with tongs he touched my mouth with it and said behold this has touched your lips and your iniquity is taken away and your sin is forgiven. Amen. Thank you, brother. Amazing what we what we see here in this vision of Isaiah, and what we we know and, and understand and reading from this, and also over in John 14, 21, that this vision from Isaiah of the temple being opened to view. The most holy place is in itself a vision of Christ, Christ himself. It is here in the radiance of his holiness that fills the temple that is supreme over all the earth. But unique in this vision, there's two aspects of the holiness of God that we see. One is in the seraphim. And what this word means actually is burners of the Lord. The zealous attending holy angels that burn in their love, in their worship, in their zeal for the holiness of God and his glory and his holiness against sin. They cry out as we read to one another in, in this majestic announcement of the holiness of the Lord, the vastness of his creation. And we see the separation that occurs here how separate, how sanctified God is upon his throne. But then we see, too, as Brother read, the prophet realizes that at the sight of this holiness, so set apart from himself in this manifestation of Christ in his glory, he realizes, and this is what what gets into the moral application or aspects, he realizes in the depths of his own soul how separate he is from this holiness. How how foreign it is to him! How vile he is, in seeing himself for who he is, as undone, as ruined. And we glimpse through through Isaiah's eyes just the vastness of this chasm that is between the holy God and sinful man. Turn over to Isaiah eighty, or excuse me, Psalm eighty nine. We're going to look at two verses or three verses there. Psalm 89 is a familiar one we read last week. But still, again, it it encompasses several of God's attributes, but specifically his holiness. Would anybody like to read that? Psalm 89, verses 6 to 8. I got it. Got it? Okay. Okay. Lord, God of hosts, who is mighty as you are, O Lord, with your faithfulness all around you. Amen. David declares here, there is none comparable to the Lord, none at all like him. Again, he's he's alluding to this great chasm, this great separation in all creation between fallen, the sinful earth, sinful man, and God in his holiness, that there is no one in the sky, no one even in the mighty of the earth beneath him that come close to him or are like him, he is separate unto himself. He is even majestic to those that are around him as with the angels and the seraphim. Between even between God and his angels there is those in his very presence, we don't see any parity between them. They are still separate, though they are in his presence, he is still separate and holy, apart from them. And God's power and authority and holiness not only inspire praise, but bring fear to all who approach Him and are near to Him. And we'll get into this in much more detail next week, Lord willing. And then finally in New Testament, the New Covenant, Matthew 6-9, it says Christ's instruction in prayer, pray then in this way. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed, how holy, how separate, how consecrated be your name. We we see and and Christ is teaching us to see and, and to give the reverence and the consecration that God's name solely deserves. That his name is to be uniquely honored. The instruction of the Lord here is what what should occur in our hearts, in our intercession, reflecting on the reality that is inherent in God's nature and his very name, the absolute perfection of holiness, that he is to be consecrated above all that we see, all that we are, all that we know, all that we have in this world. Any, Any questions so far on that first part? Comments? I know there's a plethora of other scriptures, but for time's sake, I'm... Okay, next we're going to look at the nature of God's holiness. <clears throat> and I've got to start out with Stephen Charnock. Stephen Sharnock says, Power is God's hand or arm omniscience, his eye, mercy, his bowels, eternity, his duration, but holiness is his beauty. A chief emphasis is placed upon this perfection of God. God is oftener styled holy than almighty and set forth by this part of his dignity more than by any other. This is more fixed than, fixed on as an epithet to his name than any other. You never find it expressed his mighty name or his wise name, but his great name and most of all his holy name. This is the greatest title of honor in this latter, doth the majesty and the venerableness of his name appear. So just within his name, we begin to see the nature of his holiness, that with his name carries the greatest, utmost honor, and the fullness of holiness. And under this topic, we're going to look at first is the majesty and the transcendency, I'm going to let you spell that out, of his holiness, how transcendent his holiness is. And what we've already seen, hopefully seen in these scriptures today already, is, is two, this twofold aspect of God's holiness. The first of which is his majestic, his transcendent holiness that says, God is absolutely distinct from all his creatures, of all his creation, and therefore is exalted above them in distinctive majesty. But turn to 1 Samuel two two. 1 Samuel 2 2. Anyone like to read that? Okay. Amen. In Hannah's precious prayer before the Lord, in her adoration, she's declaring that God is a God to be praised as an unrivaled and unequaled being, and he is one of incomparable perfection of beauty, full, fully majestic, and she's setting forth through this, this inspired text for us to see and understanding there is no one besides him. All other gods are mere pretenders and deceivers, hopefuls but falling so short of the mark. But she goes on to celebrate in this prayer the, the reality of God's unspotted, unsullied purity, his most transcend, transcend, transcendental attribute, excuse me. And if, if we may reverently, humbly speak of one of God's attributes as more central, more fundamental to another, it seems that in the scriptures we find an emphasis would justify this, that this attribute of God's holiness is what we see as most praised in the heavenly realm just what we saw in Isaiah 6 and throughout other scriptures. His holiness, as one commentator states, is the the rectitude. It is the correct behavior of his nature. It is his infinite agreement with himself and the equity of his government and judgment in all the administrations of both. So we find his holiness permeating every aspect of his attributes and his being. And now we're going to, get, going to go a little bit deeper into what our position, our relationship, and response to this holiness is next week. So write down your thoughts and questions for that. Hold it till next week, Lord willing. We have many more scriptures on that. But on Isaiah 57, 15, it says, For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, forever, whose name is holy, I dwell on a high and holy place. What do we picture here? What do you see here? What do you understand? Is just that the greatness of his majesty, his his worthiness of royal rank, his exaltation as the one who alone inhabits eternity, we see that his being and perfections are again exalted infinitely above every creature but not only above what they have themselves, but above what they can even conceive of God. Let me say that again. We see what, that his being and perfections are again exalted above every creature, but not only above what they have themselves, but what they even conceive of him, even far above all the blessing and praises that issue forth from the creature. This is amazing to to ponder on and think for a while. There's a sovereign dominion over all within God himself and an incontestable right to dispatch his holy law and judgment to all because as his name declares and of which he makes himself known to be is, is holy. And he's separated in this holiness he is set on high. He is lifted up. He is in a most holy place. And it is in this that we begin to see him and to know him and fear him and revere him. But what else can we see here in the beauty of the Lord and the beauty of his holiness? Psalm eighty-nine thirty-five says, Once I have sworn by my holiness. What does this mean? Once I have sworn by my holiness. The scriptures reveal to us who he is, that his godliness, his holiness, refers to his entire nature, his entire being, and that we can say his entire issuing forth of all his promises, they're guaranteed by his character because he is holy. But what we also see is that God's holiness in this sense is not really a moral attribute which would be coordinated with other attributes like love and grace and mercy, but is rather applicable to everything that can be predicated or found true of God. That's what I was saying earlier. His holiness permeates every aspect of every attribute, every word he says, every one of his actions, every one of his promises to us. Yes, brother. Yep. Amen. Knows knows it well. Yes. (laughs) And Sharnock has the same thing. I want to read one of his quotes too. Speaking on the majesty and, and holiness that permeates his attributes. As it seems to challenge an excellency above all his other perfections. So it is the glory of all the rest. As it is the glory of the Godhead, so it is the glory of every perfection in the Godhead. As His power is the strength of them, so His holiness is the beauty of them. As all would be weak without Almightiness to back them, so all would be uncomely without holiness to adorn them. Should this be sullied, all the rest would lose their honor. As at the same instant the sun should lose its light, it would lose its heat, its strength, its generative and quickening virtue. As sincerity is the luster of every grace in a Christian, so is purity the splendor of every attribute in the Godhead. His justice is a holy justice. His wisdom is a holy wisdom. His power is a holy arm. His truth or promise, a holy promise. His name, which signifies all his attributes in conjunction, is holy. So we see that God is holy in everything that reveals himself, every aspect of him. And this is why we consider this as his majestic, as his transcendent holiness. For us to say that God is holy is to ascribe to him kingly majesty, not something merely from the lips, for this is something that can only be birthed, nurtured, honored from the heart by the work of the Spirit, by the grace of Christ. And the true church of God is seen at its strongest when it recognizes and worshipfully honors the holiness of God. Let's look a little bit closer at the manifestation of God's holiness as one preertender describes it, his efficiency and cause. Okay. We see this first manifested in his works from Genesis 131 all the way to, we can go to 1 Timothy 4.4. And what we see in those verses that even from the beginning of time, in the in the completion of the creation account in Genesis where the scene at the close of every day for the first five days God declares it to be good the close of the sixth day he declared it to be very good and all throughout scriptures he's he's describing man as Ecclesiastes 7:29 says as being as man being made upright. And even Satan's original created state as being blameless until unrighteousness was recorded in Ezekiel twenty-eight, and then all the way as we, as I said in First Timothy four four, where Paul's instruction to the church that even when considering God's purpose and and nature found in things like marriage and in food, we see that the intrinsic holiness in all of God's working, all of His doing. All that is ushered forth by his holy word is good. It is intended to be good for us. And we must also see and trust that nothing but that which is excellent and good can proceed from a holy God. Now we're going to get into his law. And I bet everybody here could... Tell me where I'm going to go. <laughs> a lot of good scriptures, yeah. Let's go to Romans seven twelve, Because we're speaking of the holiness of God. And by law, we're not talking about a, a mere statement, a fact, or a formula, or a common law. But God's law, his, his commands, his precepts. Those that had been issued forth from a thrice holy God. Romans seven Who would like to read that? So oh. the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. And then read, read down in verse 14, too, please. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For well, we know that the law is spiritual. Mm-hmm. And I am of the flesh, sold under sin. Amen. Thank you. God has intentionally set before all men the holy standard of his law that reflects the perfections and the goodness of God. The matter of the law is holy, it, it commands holiness, it encourages holiness. It is holy itself, for it is agreeable to the holy, the holy one, which is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And in the goodness of its design, it was given for the good of mankind and in order to conserve peace and order in the world that God had created. Now bear with me, I'm going to develop this, so (laughs) I know where everybody's minds are going. Just as the law is holy, the scripture says, in its matter, Okay, as we read, it is also spiritual, not only in regard to the ultimate effect of it as a means of making us spiritual, but into the extent of its reach. Okay, it's it reaches into the spirit of man, into the heart to lay a restraint, to give a direction to the inner workings of a man, as the discerner and of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart that we see in Hebrews 4.12. And the purpose of its extent is to forbid sin, to forbid spiritual wickedness in all of its expressions, from the most refined to the grossest forms, from the very secret desire to the overt act. And it, it is in the spiritual aspect that the holy law of God takes a very keen and severe notice of the iniquity regarded in the heart of man. It fully exposes sin. It makes sin come alive, as Paul says. And in this full exposure by the holy light of the law, revealing the wickedness and the deceitfulness of sin within the heart of man, it brings about the full payment of its wages, death. And the inner being of man can only declare himself, as Isaiah did, as undone, unholy, in desperate need, and complete, realizing a complete separation from a holy God when he has been impacted by this holy law of God. And the holiness of God is revealed also in the moral law that has been implanted in man's hearts, and which pricks the conscience. As well as this, particularly revealed, as, as well as what's been particularly revealed in God's special revelation through His Word. So, this true and holy law of God carries within its power a, another language, a, a foreign language of divine truth that pierces deeper than the corruptions, corrupted principles of men. And more so than the natural reasoning of man, than what he can fathom, which is why again it is a spiritual law, one that is divinely intended to act as our tutor to guide and direct our hearts to point us to Christ, to lead the hearer of this law to Christ, because we know the loss it cannot save us, right? It's to lead the desperate sinner to Christ himself. any questions on that any comments? That's quite a mouthful there that <laughs> confuse anybody there Anything I want to repeat okay so his law is definitely holy. it is good. It should be preached right Amen. And his law leads us to the other manifestation, the greatest manifestation, the cross of Christ. And we are going to get into this in much greater detail next week, Lord willing. But briefly, we see the cross of Christ where the law, again, the tutor, exposing, convicting, leading the sinner to the only place where in full display where we see We continue to see, we hopefully continue to meditate upon the infinite holiness of God and his complete abhorrence of sin and what he did to his own son on that cross. We see on the cross how utterly hateful sin must be and is so that God would punish to the utmost to pour out an eternal wrath, a measure of wrath the fullness of the deserving punishment imparted to his own son. Uh, Just meditating on that. Would we even consider giving up our own children for a murderer? For someone, you know, just historical thought, Hitler, you know. For someone who hates you, despises you. But to consider what Christ in his perfection, in his innocence, in his love, in his willingness to endure. To fully carry out in perfect obedience all the commands and law of God again for us. And then to carry out the full measure of God's judgment and wrath on our behalf. And we see this is the holiness of God. He has to punish sin it cannot go left unpunished because he is holy, perfectly holy, and he hates all sin, every every form of it. And he loves everything which is in conformity to his law, which is why his love was so precious on his son, his beloved son. Sharnak again. Not all the vials of judgment that have... Or shall be poured out upon the wicked world. Nor the flaming furnace of a sinner's conscience. Nor the irreversible sentence pronounced against the rebellious demons. Nor the groans of the damned creatures. Give such a demonstration of God's hatred of sin. As the wrath of God let loose upon his son. Never did divine holiness appear more beautiful and lovely than at the time of our Savior's countenance was most marred in the midst of his dying groans. This he himself acknowledges in Psalm 22, when God had turned his smiling face from him and thrust his sharp knife into his heart, which forced that terrible cry from him, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? God adores this perfection. And he says, Thou art holy. And in comparison and contrast to this, Nahum 1, verses 2 and 3. A jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries, and he reserves wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. For the unrepentant sinner, this promise will be a reality for them. But for the one who puts their faith in the finished work of Christ, we know we should in the depths of our soul know that Christ was treated as God's enemy on our behalf, and we are enabled to sing like David, and turn with me to Psalm 19, where because of this cross, we now can love the holiness in God's law. We understand it. It is a satisfaction to our souls. Psalm 19, verses 7-11 through 11. Would anyone like to read that for me? <clears throat> read it? Got it? Great reward in the law of God for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. All right. Any any questions? Any comments so far? We're at our last point, and praise God. We're. I'm gonna write this up here. Oh, this is B. We're gonna look at the ethical and moral aspects briefly. The perfection of God, the holiness of God. The the ethical holiness of God or the ethical idea of divine holiness and the moral perfection of God is not dissociated or it's not separate from his majestic holiness by any means. It is actually derived from it. It, it is a lack of a better term, a byproduct, a result, it's what flows from his majestic holiness is his moral or his ethical holiness and moral perfection. The Lord is revealed in his holiness as one who can have no communion with sin and gives no approval of it. And we see this in Habakkuk one i I'm going to turn there real quick. <clears throat> Habakkuk one thirteen. Says, Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. God is not and cannot be the author of our or the supporter of sin. He cannot sin himself, and it cannot withstand his presence. Now, we'll go into a discussion next time. Well, does God see sin? Is God aware of sin? What does he do with the sin he sees? Because he is omnipresent. He is omniscient. He does know everything and see everything. So hold that thought that for next week. We're going to definitely get into that. But we know he does not, according to Psalm 5, he does not take pleasure in wickedness. There's no moral satisfaction whatsoever in God. He doesn't wink at sin. He doesn't excuse sin. He doesn't brush it under the rug. Say, okay, we'll, we'll worry about that later. No evil dwells within him, and the boastful shall not stand before his eyes. You hate all who do iniquity. And it's true that God does, and I said, does see sin that is committed in the world. And it is an utter offense to him. And those that do commit it are rightly exposed to his justice. But we find in the holy nature of God a deep-seated aversion to each and every thought of the heart, the practice of a life that is contrary to his holy law. And even though through the cross of Christ sinners are reconciled to himself, God never will or can never be reconciled to sin. It will never happen. So we see in the ethical holiness of God, a negative aspect in his being separate from sin, which there's actually a goodness in that because he cannot sin. He's not going to be associated with it. But positive content and that of his moral excellence is the moral perfection of God himself. And this is the reaction, the response that occurred in Isaiah's heart. in in our hearts when we see the holiness of God, we hear the truth of the gospel, the truth of his law, that we are then divinely enabled to encounter this majestic holiness of God, even though it may be a glimpse of it, it is sufficient that there's this deep soulish awareness, this moral conflict that arises within us, and we're aware of our utter insignificance and in awe cry out, what must I do to be saved? Then comes a revelation of our impurity. Our conscience is awakened to our sin, and it becomes an awareness of our unworthiness to stand, to even consider and contemplate a holy one of God. Burkoff gave a very good definition of what's called the ethical holiness of God. It is that perfection of God in virtue of which he eternally wills and maintains his own moral excellence, abhors sin, and demands purity in his moral creatures. So the command to repent and believe is never diminished. It's never vanquished, never let go. It never ceases in its declaration. There is always a call to that purity by God so any questions any comments just got a couple closing things here yes brother Right. made okay yeah. without any type of punishment for sin. Right. right. Whereas this truly separates himself from even is um, Islam, right, in the sense that um, they can just be good or bad being outweighed and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. That there's truly a, a requirement that sin is dealt with as a result of the holiness of God. Amen. Can't conjure up a natural god that right. suits our own wants to with that. fancy. Right, right. Wants to say, oh, it gets pushed aside. Yeah, mm-hmm. suppressed. It, right? it won't be. I right. <laughs> mm-hmm. just say as part of our, our sanctification too, the holiness of God, how we should be living. Yeah, and these are a great example, of course. Amen. We're called out, you know, we're to be living holy as He's holy, as Christians born well, again. Yep. That that will be part two next week. Amen. Yeah. So we're going to dive into that. I may ask Pastor if I can have two hours on that one, but <laughs> we'll start at 1230. But so just to close this first session and kind of introduce our next session, which, by the way, the brothers are going to be going into the holiness of God with Sproul starting in a couple of weeks. So watch for that announcement. But let's turn and read um, Psalm 99. Just so to conclude this section, to prepare our hearts, especially for today, you know, every day is a celebration of the resurrection and life of Christ. But today as we're gathered, this just to bring it f- forefront, if you will, of our hearts and minds of why we're gathered together today as his children, as his body. Psalm 99.5 says, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. For holy is he. And Leviticus 11.44. For I am the Lord your God. Your God. He has revealed his holiness to you. He is your God. Consecrate yourselves therefore. And as brother Greg said. Be holy for I am holy. And this is to close with our brother Stephen Charnock again. This is the prime way of honoring God. We do not so glorify God by elevated admiration or eloquent expressions or even pompous services of him as when we aspire to a conversing with him with unstained spirits and live to him in living like him. Amen. Amen. Let's go worship our holy God.